Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. And we spent five seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads. So this season, we're going to take a look at hauntings, ghost stories, and the crimes behind them. Because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. This week we're returning to the Hawkesbury River, and as promised at the end of last week's episode, we're heading to a place called Pete Island. Pete Island housed, and technically houses, what's been described as one flew over the cuckoo's nest in reality. It's an eight hectare island on the Hawkesbury River, which was set up to be an asylum for, and I quote, inebriates in 1911, before it was reopened as a psychiatric hospital just 50k north of Sydney, and by all accounts, it was a terrifying place to be. Dad, there's all kinds of really horrible reports of this place. I'm looking at an aerial photo of Pete Island. I had no idea this place even existed. As I mentioned last week in that brief comment about my father, who'd been studying at university, he actually studied for 11 years, which is kind of weird. Part of his degree was in psychology, and we used to drive past Pete Island regularly because mum and dad had friends in Newcastle. I sort of would look over there because I was sat on the on the left-hand side. There were four of us in the back of the... Back then it was a station wagon, generally. And everyone in the car would be sort of carrying on and I'd be just sort of looking out as I did, look out the window and just sort of daydream, I guess. But that place always intrigued me, even though I knew nothing about it. I had never heard any mention of that particular place but it was so weird because you come off this sort of big bridge that if you're traveling north takes you over the actual Hawkesbury River and alongside the road bridge is a rail bridge which I've been over many times like that time I went to visit my grandmother and I was given those drugs on that fateful trip have I told you that story? It's so I think you, bad. I think you told it to Tegan and I when we were doing the Adelaide tour, and I don't know if it was concluded in a bonus episode. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But mm. yeah, can, anyway, I continue. had the most terrible experience that was so horrendous. I was hallucinating on a train called the Glen Ennis Mail, yep. which is a shitty old train. So we're traveling over, and I remember I once said to my dad, I said, Dad, what's that, that place over there? You could quite clearly see, I mean... Technically speaking, it's not an island 
now because it is connected to the mainland. But perhaps in its very, very early days, it was actually an island and they, um, they linked it with a road. And I did a bit of research on the road and it actually took them 10 years to, to make. And a lot of the people that were involved in the, the making just of the road were actually inmates. And my father kind of went a bit weird and said, oh, and he, but he never ever really spoke about it. But then one day he actually said to me that he'd been onto the island when it was actually a working asylum as part of his degree. And I sort of pressed him on, you know, what was it like? Because I was obviously quite curious and I was old enough to understand what what an institution of that type, what it meant. But I guess yeah. I kind of wanted to, maybe he could tell me a few juicy stories um, because I, I mean, you find that sort of stuff kind of fascinating. Um, I mean, Paul, if I had have said to you when you were, say, 10, Oh, Paul, well, actually I did. I mean, when I went to mental institutions in the police force working, do you think if I had have come home and discussed it, you would have been curious as to, you know, what it was like? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you kind of scarred me pretty badly with the police stories. I mean, the case of the witch, which we you know, listeners will be very familiar with, I was I overheard that when I was a little kid and it scared the crap out of me. So maybe by that point I would have been a little bit gun shy, but I understand you've always been driven to you know, kind of push for more information. Um, I just, I'm just going to say that my father basically refused to talk about it. And that, that to me indicated that he'd witnessed some stuff that I, I imagine was very unpleasant. If you Google Pete Island, you come up with a bunch of really dreadful stuff. Typically speaking, a lot of these things that happened, a lot of these well, basically crimes that happened on Pete Island in this asylum uh, tended to affect patients, including children, in fairly grotesque ways. Um, have you read through any of the cases and the things that happened here? Look, I know that um, it was originally built as sort of an asylum or an institution for mm. the people that suffered from alcoholism. And when they opened the place in around about 1907 at a, at a great cost back then of a six and a half thousand pounds they actually held sort of a a banquet dinner party on the island where a lot of the politicians were there but there was an outcry uh, this is pre-first world war at the cost and they had this big luncheon and there were comments made in the in the press that perhaps that quite a few politicians from Macquarie Street should go there and actually be admitted themselves because, um, you know, they were described as, as basically alcoholics in Parliament. Mm. But then the government sort of lost interest in it and, it, it you know, they, they, they used it as a convention centre. You know, they hosted various sort of garden parties because obviously it was a stunning location and quite beautiful. But then the, um, the government of the of the day decided to turn it into, um, and I'm using words from the, the period, into a lunatic asylum. Uh, initially, just for for men. Yeah. Um, but it must have been so terrible because if you go and have a look at a lot of the institutions, the asylums in Sydney, they are all in the most glorious locations. I don't 
quite understand. Is it a thing of sort of society has changed its views, Paul, on what is deemed a beautiful location? I'm not sure. Because, you know, back in early Sydney, you know, beachside locations were not highly desirable. It was all in a city. Well, to that point, they're actually trying to kind of turn Pete Island into some sort of tourist hub at this point. There's a bunch of news stories about it from back in 2018, 19, you know, kind of just before all this COVID stuff put the kibosh on a lot of development. Mm, mm. And yeah, people want to turn it into an amazing tourist destination, which makes sense because geographically it's incredible, which really clashes against the horrifying things that happened there. For example, so the first story that I could find chronologically, the first incident recorded, sorry, was in 1924. So, you know, it's been open for a while at this point and... um, I was a little curious as to specifics on this, and I managed to actually find an archived microfiche from the, uh, what paper is this? From the Broken Hill Gazette, I think. This is an article from Friday the 14th of November, 1924. Mental patient for trial on a charge of murder. Sydney, Friday. Giving evidence regarding the murder of Howell Besley, a mental patient at the Hawkesbury River Asylum, William Finkst. Another patient admitted having hit Besley on the head with a big stick and killed him. He said he put the body in a bag. Finkst said he would have killed anybody else present at the time as he was driven to it. He was committed for trial. And there's a follow-up article the next day in the same paper. Jesus, this, this headline, Dad, is not PC, but I will read it word for word. The imbecile's story. <sighs> Callous. I've help. been called an imbecile, imbecile well, yeah. by teachers. I, that was I was regularly called an imbecile, but well, anyway, that's that's schooling really? in the 70s. That's right. Callous murder at Milson Island, Sydney, November 14. It's interesting hearing it referred to by different names, isn't it? Mm. Well, so, also originally it was called Rabbit Island. Right, okay. Well, this is this is the day after that last article. A remarkable statement is alleged to have been given to Detective Sergeant Matthews by William Finkst, inmate of the imbecile colony, Jesus, on Milson Island, Hawkesbury River. It was reported today at the inquest of the death of Harold Besley, whose body was found in the river, that a potato bag was over the head and the arms and legs tied with rope. Okay, Matthews said Finkst in his confession said he killed Besley. He found him sitting on a rock, he hit him on the head with a stick, then got the bag and put it over his head. Then he got two pieces of rope and tied Besley's legs. Besley kicked a little while he was doing this. He pushed Besley into the water and saw him float 50 yards before he sank. Oh, God. That's he supposed... So... That's the level of detail in the oh, papers back then. So... Sorry, this is apparently in the Cairns Post. Okay, so this is a different newspaper the next day. So this is a different... Well, you know, we're up north, it's Queensland, so it's going to have a very different journalistic style. He supposed that if... Hang on, let me get the wording right. He supposed that if there had been any others with him, he would have killed them too. He thought that by killing Besley, it would cause a big row and he would get away from the island and from McDonald. And here the kind of print gets very garbled as it was, and this is a quote, that cow McDonald, end quote, who made him do it. He was very sorry for what he had done, the coroner found that Besley was murdered by Finkst, who was committed for trial. Now, if we head along, McDonald. Who is the McDonald he's referring to? I actually think it's possible that McDonald may have worked at the at the asylum. Possibly. Wouldn't be Ronald McDonald. 
I'm guessing not. The creepy the th- clown. The problem here, Dad, is if you look through this article from news.com.au from uh, a couple of years back, it sort of details this laundry list of horrors, these things that happen. And I think maybe this is what happens when you... Because you've been to Cockatoo Island. You've been to different prisons. These These places kind of get a bit of a... You know, they become a law unto themselves, right? So it says here, the mysterious deaths of child patients repeatedly made headlines over the years of the facility's operations. So 1924, we're dealing with um, the story we just went through. In 1940, a kid called Robert Bruce Walker, aged eight, was found floating off the island after he had been put in the pen, a caged compartment as punishment. And that's in 1940. Mm. And I did a little digging here. And this is from an investigation into that, into that drowning. The families of the children who died in care were simply told their children drowned with the first report of a drowning made public in 1940. And that's the story we're just, we're dealing with now. But one man has refused to accept that explanation for the best part of 55 years. Queensland business owner Kyle Rinders, 62, last saw his older brother Bernardus, also known as Benny, around 1960. Benny was around 10 years old when he was institutionalized for learning difficulties. Oh in Newcastle Psychiatric Unit and later in the Pete Island Asylum. He didn't have psychiatric problems, just learning difficulties, but it was in an era when that was frowned upon, Mr. Rinders told news.com.au. Mr. Rinders said once his brother was institutionalized, there were no visits to see him at the home, no letters exchanged, and no phone calls between the pair. Um, and there's a photo here of Benny. God, he's so little. Dad, he's so little. So... Mm. This kid with a learning disability has been sent to this asylum because he had some, you know, he had something going on, but it certainly didn't warrant that kind of treatment. Then they put him in eight years of age. They put him in a fucking cage. And then the fact that an eight-year-old is then put into solitary confinement is is it's deplorable, um, but also it shows the state of the running of the institution. Yeah, and you know. As I've discussed before, Paul, certain types of organisations can also attract certain types of people, and some yeah. of the some some mass murderers um, in Australia and overseas um, have been staff within institutions that have this desire to. They must have such a low idea of the worth of human life. You know, it's just. I can't imagine, because what happens, of course, is that if you are institutionalised, even if you've got nothing wrong with you, and of course then you become institutionalised, but imagine not having any major problems and then trying to convince the authorities that you actually are sane. It's And then through frustration, you snap. Then you do something terrible that you would not have necessarily done apart from the fact that you did it because you're institutionalized and you feel so frustrated. And because of the era you're in, you then, you know, punished in the same way that that Benny kid was, you mm. know. There were a few um, patients. In fact, there were there were a lot of kids. Um, do you know how many people died on that island, Paul? No, I don't. More than 300. Oh, my God. Yeah. And another sad aspect, because they were regarded so poorly, uh, so in such a dehumanizing way by society those 300 people that we know about that that's very important to put that in parenthesis because it's always that we know about because it's 
the thing that I think about is what we don't know about. You know, how easy would it be on an island to simply take the person, the body, out at night time, or you might not even care. You might do it during the daytime and just simply push them off the island. And it's, it's a known location for sharks. And a body floating in that river, um, I mean, I've been fishing up there. Um, I fished up there once and there was such a frenzy of sharks that when we pulled the anchor up, the, sh- the sharks were going for the anchor. It was, it was frightening. So if you can imagine uh, a body floating off that island before it sinks, it's going to be, you know, taken. And the evidence, all evidence, you'd never ever find anything. And those 300 or so people that, that died on the island, they were, were buried in unmarked graves at a nearby cemetery. They were, they were just, so that means that families, when they go back through their, you know, the family tree and find that a relative was in fact a, you know, did a custodial or a sentence or a time at that island and then they find they passed away, they can never ever visit. Uh, They can never sort of, there's no closure because they were put in, you know, destitute graves. And I remember when I was in the police force, um, we, um, you know, one of my jobs was un, was sort of to identify unidentifiable human remains, and occasionally I would um, be able to identify, for example, a homeless person. They were clearly homeless because, you know, you just you, you just have a look at them and you could see that you know they had not bathed in, you know, a year or so, and you just just their their demeanour lying on the slab. And these people that you could never identify, um, they would be put in unmarked graves. And that's, that's a part of our history that is... Uh, I'm surprised a, a lot of people don't actually know about Pete Island. Yeah. Um, I did, again, I didn't even know it existed. In my research um, for this story, I came across a story that's just... Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing because it's so... But I'm sort of laughing to cover up how depressing it is. Yeah. And um, it's really bad. So... This is... this is I'm assuming this is a Pete Island story. When is... So when about is this? Because it seems like the last case we just dealt with was 1940. What year is this that you're talking about? That's a great question, Paul. It's um, April 20th, 1983. God, I was a young police officer. I was about January... uh, I was a couple of months old at that point. Yeah, yeah. So the headline reads, Patients' Nails Pulled Out. Oh, God. Mm. Youth's Parents Complain. That's the subheading. A retarded youth's 10 fingernails were torn out while under temporary care in a psychiatric institution. In a 39-page report to the New South Wales Deputy Ombudsman, Mr. Darrell Gunter, criticises the Health Department for not investigating the matter adequately. Mr. Gunter's report stems from complaints by the youth's parents. They left their 17-year-old son at the Pete Island Hospital on the Hawkesbury River on January the 10th, 1981. Mm. Jesus, that's the year I joined the police force. When they collected him on January the 28th, he was without his fingernails. 
It's taken over two years for the report to be finalised and still the person responsible for the incident has not been identified, the father said last night. That is of concern to me. He said they reported the incident to Hornsby Police who conducted very brief inquiries at the hospital and were satisfied with reports from doctors that a 12-year-old patient was responsible. In his report, Mr Gunter says he was unable to pinpoint the person responsible, but he rejects claims that A, a 12-year-old retarded boy, may have been responsible. He rejects the claim that the victim suffered a condition which made his nails fragile, oh, for fuck's sake. And C, the supposed disorder meant his nails could be removed without distress. Fuck off. And D, the matter was properly investigated. (sighs) God. Now you, you just sent me the article. Uh, I'm looking here. It's quite... Okay. I'll tell you what. Um, it's got three subheadings. One of them says supervision. I might just skip ahead to this bit. Actually, could you skip ahead to supervision? Actually, what about the investigative section here where it says, Unfortunately, I cannot rule out the possibility that such action was done by an adult or such adult may have been a member of the medical or surgical staff. I'm not in a position to find there has been wrong conduct by any public authority in terms of actually having removed the 10 nails. It's just so... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Terrible. And in relation oh, yeah, to I- supervision, he said checks on activities in the ward on the day showed the level of supervision was totally inadequate. Between 12.10pm and 1pm, the youth and one other girl patient had been inside the ward without any staff to supervise them. 
the missing fingernails had been found scattered across three locations, the female dormitory, the female toilet and the television room. Mr Gunter said he believed there were only three possible explanations for what had happened. That the youth had injured himself, his nails had been removed by another patient or they had been surgically removed by an adult. I do not accept the view the nails were removed by a retarded adolescent or by the youth himself, he said. Members of the medical and nursing staff had access to the youth and the instruments necessary to effect the removal of the nails. I take the view that no satisfactory explanation of the removal has been put forward and I'm not in a position as a result of any inquiries to sheet home responsibility to any member of staff or any combination of staff. Mr Gunter expressly rejected advice given to the former health minister, Mr Stewart, that the victim possibly suffered from a condition... Albright's osteodystrophy, which made fingernails particularly fragile. Health department officials had claimed this condition meant nails could be removed without distress. Mr Gunter's report quotes that two senior doctors who had examined the youth had found he was definitely not suffering from the disorder. Both experts said his nails were normal. One of them specified that their removal without anaesthetic would prove extremely painful. Okay, so so it's pretty clear that this is abuse that's going Mm. on and i found an article from a later date i think maybe in the same paper i think this is maybe the the telegraph okay collins who i uh who is the so right here we go psychiatric patients were sexually and physically abused in mental hospitals branded as fire traps it was revealed in state parliament yesterday health minister peter collins said the former government had suppressed, suppressed, Jesus, a seven-volume report recommending the closure of New South Wales psychiatric hospitals because of neglect. And it goes through here and details all kinds of abuse. If I skip forward here through the, again, laundry list of horrors, at Pete Island Hospital, the MAO report found toilets had no doors, no seats, and no toilet paper, and conditions in one ward were deplorable. And this is all about a cover-up. Basically, so yeah. they didn't want to have to shut these places, but they did. They had to shut them, and then mm. of course, you, you know, you've got the fact that there is now that cemetery you mentioned, where they have the unmarked graves up to mm. three hundred people. That was Brooklyn Cemetery, wasn't Correct. it? Okay, okay. Um, what about the doctor that described it as the real one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Oh God! And and there are there are reports. Firstly, um, you know, delving into some of these reports, upon first entering the island, and you sort of made it to within the, the, the buildings, the first thing that you were struck with was an extreme, overpowering, pungent smell of urine. That's the first thing. And there are eyewitness accounts. There was this, apparently Ward 4 was the absolute... I mean, imagine the whole place is just rat shit, okay? It's, it's mm. fucked. It's a shithole and it's a depressing, just dystopian madhouse. And it's funny to think that it's in one of the most beautiful places um, that I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's stunning and glorious and magnificent. And yet it, people just drove past it. Tens of thousands of cars a day have driven past that place over the last decades. And almost everyone is oblivious to what was going on. Mm. And the terrible and sad thing, Paul, is that um, from an eyewitness account, and this is so messed up that this particular uh, member of staff said she looked into this large area like a like a courtyard 
there were up to 400 men and boys, okay, men and boys, naked, many of whom were masturbating. It's just, it's, it's so bad. And I would have to conclude, based on the conditions, that there would have invariably been people that did take their own lives as the last way out. So the place shut, right? It's it's shut now. And the last thing I could find about it is 2018 saying they were going to try and turn it into some kind of tourist hub. We've talked about this before, that I don't think I could go somewhere that I knew had had things like this happen, no matter the view. I mean, I, don't, I really don't see how you can reclaim this land. I mean, if I lived on Pete Island, you know, 20 years from now, and it had been repurposed into some gorgeous, bougie little place... And someone told me the things that had happened there, you know, about little Benny and about the fingernails and about just the things that had happened there. I mean, I'd need to have my house fucking exercised, mm. you know? Paul, I, I, I concur and I, I take on board what you're saying. However, yep. if you go down that path, and I, mate, I'm, it's, you and I have discussed on quite a few occasions... Um, you know, duty of care, like, for example, the witch's house in Mossman. Mm. Um, you know, should we knock on their door? Should I go and see the, the new people and go, hey, do you know that this, this and that, you know, maybe are you aware of these incredible things that happened in, in these hallowed walls? Do you, yeah. do you think you should tell people that? I know that real estate agents, I, I believe they have a duty of care. If you, if, if Look, if I found out that someone had killed themselves in my kitchen, I'd be... I think I'd be pretty upset, but I think institutional, um, long, long, sort of, sort of horror and misery is possibly more traumatic, and sort of makes the whole thing a little bit more distressing. And it's it's so funny, you know, these poor people in these cells, these rooms, they were right on the edge of the harbour, but they their views were always obscured, which I find again terrible um but paul here's the thing that area of of north of sydney um i've done research and there were quite a few massacres of aborigines in the late 18th early 19th century so if you then apply your principle then is is nowhere you know not not sort of... No, you're right. It's, is, you're right. It, yeah. This country... You know, then you may as well say, oh, well, okay, okay, the whole of Australia is, is fucked because of the history. And, you know, I believe, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are going to um, Fiji. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the German missionaries in the 19th century um, are complicit with... with a lot of things that happen in Fiji and there, you can, wherever we go in the world, there's this history. I think it's just important to acknowledge, um, but also from a from a developer's perspective, you don't want to say, okay, well, you shouldn't develop that because of the terrible history because I think as long as you acknowledge that something terrible has happened there. Yeah. Having said all that, Paul, I'm kind of swaying towards your your side I, I don't think I could, with knowing what I know, yeah. 
I don't think I'd feel comfortable. Going I think on it to seems the like it, yeah. This is this seems like a specific, prolonged, mm. localized horror. Yeah. If yeah. I knew that I lived somewhere where Indigenous Australians had been mowed down, I would have real problems with just chilling out on my deck. It it, it, would, it wouldn't feel right. I feel no. like because what's interesting is the Hawkesbury River is enormous, and as evidenced by last week's episode and this episode. Mm. There's just a lot of a lot of shit has happened on this river no, and it's bad. I mean, in closing, dad, you mentioned that you actually knew someone who'd been put into the river in a really unceremonious and tragic way. Could you mm. tell us about that story? So Paul, I know I've told you this before, but a, a, an ex-police officer, you know, ex ex-living person, um he and I worked together and he he was murdered. He was shot on the head. He actually was told to drop to his knees, shot point-blank range. He was then bound uh, with chains and bags, and he was taken up to very, very close to Pete Island, and he was unceremoniously um, dropped over the edge of a um, a jetty. And, uh, yeah, he was... And they and, and um, a scuba diver found him. So, you know, that, that whole area... And then did I tell you about the girl with one arm that was bashed by and tortured? That, again, was on the Hawkesbury River. And then not only was she bashed and tortured, she's got one arm, but guess what? They threw her into the Hawkesbury. Oh, yeah. With the attempt of... I mean, can you imagine throwing a one-armed girl? She was 16, off a bridge. So it's a, it's a, it's a messed up... It's a weird place. There are all sorts of stories about the region... Um, there's a lot of speculation as to lots of things kind of weird happening up there. You know, wherever you've got got something isolated and and the water's just the most, it's just the best way or one of the best ways, like, you know, the man on the, on, in last week's episode, if you want to get rid of someone, you know, there's, there's all that water. Oh golly. Funny way to end, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty dark. I mean, Mm. The Shadow Files is proving to be a bit darker than I thought it would be, but that's that's what the show is. <laughs> yes, and, and and our fans do like it. Yeah, and that's the reason we keep doing Loose Ends, because at the end of the week, sometimes we need to provide some sort of emotional counterpoint. Mm. And, and and just an aside to, to the listeners, mm-hmm. um, Christine and I were over in Thailand. We're watching... Uh, we've just watched the, um, the the whole episode series on net, uh, Netflix about uh, Ted Bundy, uh, frightening. And then as a bit of light entertainment, I said to Christine last night, let's watch The Night Stalker, which is a really, really bad murderer. I mean, yeah, all ma- murderers to, are bad, but... It, this you really the, need to have some sort of... No, but poor Christine wakes up this morning and she was really... She just said to me, she said I had a, a rotten night's sleep. She actually said... Paul, she said that she looked over to the door in our bedroom and she said the the walls were flowing with blood. Okay, that's the sign you need to... When I say you should watch Boba Fett, watch <laughs> fucking Boba Fett. Anyway, Paul, yeah, so, look, you know, this... Look, yeah. it's, it's weird. I mean, I, I actually do really enjoy... I love true crime. Yeah. Uh, but it's... It, Christine, she said she's just... She's OD'd on it. Yeah, well... <laughs> If you've OD'd on it as well, that's okay because this was a particularly harrowing two-parter installment to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Have a good week, everyone, because we're going to be back at the end of the week with Loose Ends and we're going to talk about something which might be lighter than this. 
or it might be way more horrific. It's a roll of the dice with loose units. Have a great week, everyone, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Shadow Files. See you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.